Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I am Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief here at Modern Retail. This week, I am really excited. We have Laura Niebush. She is the CMO of Georgia Pacific, which is almost certainly a company you have bought in the past. It could have been with its many consumer facing brands like Dixie, Brawny, Quilted Northern, or maybe you've been in a bathroom where you've seen Georgia Pacific on a paper towel dispenser, which I have seen. When I got the email from you guys, I was like, oh, I know, I know that company. It's very ubiquitous, Um, which is exactly what I want to talk with Laura about, which is being a marketing leader at a company that is pretty ubiquitous, at least in American life, how you think about that, how you think about customer relationship, and just sort of when you're dealing with all of these brands that are unique, but also serve similar needs, how, how she approaches that. But Laura, how are you doing? I am great, and I am excited to be here today. Yes, me too. So first, Let's go into who you are, because you've been in uh, CPG for a pretty long time, according to at least your LinkedIn, and uh, you've been at Georgia Pacific for also a a, a pretty long time. So talk to me just about your career trajectory up until now. Absolutely. Um, Like you said, I've been in this business for a while, about 25 years. Uh, I started out as a marketing assistant, a marketing associate at a company um, called Russell Athletic, which is performance wear and active wear, um, and really enjoyed what I was doing. So ended up going back to school and getting my MBA. And then coming out of that, I went to work for Procter & Gamble and really you know, got my foundation in brand management and really learned about how to build a brand um, and about marketing. Um, I joined GP, or Georgia Pacific, 15 years ago. And I have had a great opportunity here to work on our different businesses, whether it's Brawny or Dixie or Vanity Fair, um, as well as work in our marketing capability. Um, So three years ago, I got the opportunity to take on my current role leading marketing and consumer experience for our consumer products brands. And um, it's been a very exciting few years. A lot of changes in the world, a lot of changes with consumers. um, And absolutely every day has been, you know, a challenge, but a lot of fun. Three years ago is when you took this role? Yes. Oh, wow. That is that is what one might call an inflection point for the world as well as marketing. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great opportunity, a pretty scary time to take on a new role like this um, with all the changes happening. It was April of 2020, so right as the pandemic oh, was wow. starting. Um, but it was, I, I wouldn't have wanted any, anything else because it, it really did create kind of the opportunity for how we wanted to operate as a, as a business, as a marketing organization moving forward. So can you talk to me about or just explain to me what how you describe your mandate for such a, a a big company that has so many tendrils and so many different parts what are you precisely overseeing and thinking about in your day to day yes so i lead the marketing capability the marketing and consumer experience capability for our retail brands um those brands include Brawny, Sparkle, Angel Soft, Quilted Northern, Dixie, Vanity Fair. So those are the brands that are um, you would see in your mass channels, your grocery channels, um, your club channels. Um, so so direct to con- or, um, consumer or consumer brands. Um, and so I support our businesses. Um, our, each of our brand teams and our categories and helping to achieve their their brand objectives through marketing. Um, so as they're identifying their brand objectives each year, you know, I'm working with my team on how to bring those to life most effectively and efficiently. What does the org chart exactly look like, especially in marketing? Like, so you're you're at the top of the retail-facing, consumer-facing rung, and then are you dealing with marketing leaders for each of those specific brands? Yeah, so I work in partnership with um, our marketing leaders for each brand. And then within my organization, I have all the capabilities 
capabilities are SMEs. So I have strategy, brand strategy and content. I have integrated media, um, omni-channel shopper marketing, consumer affairs, social, uh, marketing technology. Um, so I have all the kind of capabilities that we believe is ne- are, are necessary to go to market today as a brand. This is a big question. And so, and I imagine it's shifted over the years, but what would you say is your guiding philosophy right now for marketing and branding, especially for these these consumer-facing retail brands that some might call kind of ubiquitous? Like, you know, they're, they're the things that you've seen every day in the grocery store, but they're not, you know, somewhat, some might choose one because of the price or the other because of another thing, but they're not, they, they have a different kind of brand uh, affinity than other brands might, you know? Sure. For us, it is, and it's why we transformed into consumer experience, is that we have to be thinking about how we are delighting consumers with the cons- the experience they have with our brands every time they are interacting with us. And that is different than traditional marketing, which was, we're going to tell people about why we're great, and then hope they we tell them enough times that they remember it and they go buy our products. And today, that's not the way it works. Consumers expect more from brands. They have more choices, more ways to purchase, and more ways that you can reach them. And so if you are not thinking holistically about that entire experience and making sure that experience is consistent, but not just consistent, but dis- but distinctive and how your brand comes to life so that it stands out in a memorable and meaningful way from your alternatives. So it's about thinking about that whole funnel, that whole experience they have, but making sure what your that experience is distinctive and it's something that makes them understand why you are better than, than their alternatives. How do you delight in a mass retail environment? It, it comes with um, a couple different ways. Understanding how value is created for a consumer. So for some of our brands, it might be by making sure, um, you know, we are as clear as possible about what our benefits were. For some people, it might be more around how we're offering them value and coupons and promotions. Um, for some, it may be, you know, what we're offering them outside of the store. But for for each target, for each brand and their consumer target, we have to know what value looks like for them, how we can create value for them, and then try and bring that as possible, you know, bring that to life as much as possible. Now, that might look different in how we reach them in a more mass awareness way. We're still are doing kind of TV and other mass awareness tactics. But with data and technology today, we can also have a lot more personalized experience with them as we interact in different touch points. Yeah, I'm going to want to talk about that personalization because that's a, a big buzzword that I'm hearing a lot now. And I'm always fascinated to see how that like actually manifests, especially with a company like you that's, you know, has probably tens of millions of, of customers, you know. Um, but but I wanted to ask, because you mentioned that this is a, a strategic shift, like both for GP, but also I imagine for CMOs everywhere, which is, you know, trying to trying to connect more, trying to focus more on on surprise and delight, et cetera. When do you think this happened or when did it actually happen for you specifically? And what brought it here? I feel like we were talking about this before the pandemic and we were looking at ways to do this. And I think data and technology brought us to Actually, I should say two things. Data and technology give us the ability to be more personalized, to better understand, and to have more of that direct feedback about what was working and not working with your brands. But the other was the consumer. The consumer themselves was changing, and their again their expectations of how a brand experience should be. Um, was was higher than they've ever been. And they are making choices about that. They're making choices on if brands are aligned with their values or brands are offering them value because there are a lot of alternatives out there. So those two trends have been happening, you know, for 10 years, if not more. But I believe the pandemic accelerated them in such a way that it didn't just become a competitive advantage if you did it. It became a 
table stakes. If you weren't doing this, and you definitely were not going to win with your businesses. And how do you talk about values, or how do you how do you message values? I guess is my question. Is it? it I, I imagine like there's top of funnel marketing you can do. You can do commercials. You can do things like that. You know, if I were talking to a smaller brand. They would likely be sending emails, you know. But like, are are you sending email? Like, what? what how? How does that go from from top to bottom of the funnel? Um, ideally, it should be all of those. Kind of going back to the experience, there should be each of our brands has a promise. They have an essence. They have what the, a purpose that what that brand stands for, and that should be coming across. Um, may not always be the same way across touch points, but that should be coming across um, and be and living up to that in every single touch point. You're right. It looks differently and what you can say in a 15 or 30 second TV commercial versus what you might, um, you know, how you might engage with them on social or in store in the in-store environment or even, you know, through through email. And we do all of those um, and really think through, again, for each consumer, where can we drive drive that value for them? Um, and where do they want, where are they most engaged with us? Where do they want to hear about not just our products, but our brands and how else we can kind of bring value to their lives? Um, but it is it has to happen through all of those touch points. Um, we have to be you know, really strategic and thinking about which ones are going to be most relevant and impactful for the consumer um, and then consistent in how it comes to life. I wanted to ask you about digital specifically because it's something that we write about at Modern Retail, but it's also something that I think every major CPG brand I talk to mentions that you know they're really interested in digital they they have an e-commerce strategy but I'm o- I always try to understand exactly how that manifests and so can you talk you know is is that something you're thinking about do you like is there a quote unquote direct to consumer strategy that GP has and if so what does it look like we are focused on an omni-channel strategy which is making sure that when our consumers are ready to purchase our products they can find us when and where and how they want to buy us and that means we have to think about it you know, again, across all the different channels that they could be buying us, brick and mortar, um, online grocery pickup, um, you know, direct to consumer. Um, so we need to be thinking about all of those channels and then make sure that we've got the right capabilities behind it to help reach the consumer during those times um, with our message about our brands and help make sure she understands the role our brands can can play as she purchases us. Um, so there is a strategy in thinking about that um, and making sure that we are in those right places at the right times. And that was, I mean, in 2020, when you joined, that was when we saw a huge acceleration in terms of online platforms, you know, Instacart, et cetera. What are you seeing now in terms of demand? Is grocery, you know, in-store retail and groceries now more your number one than it was, say, two years ago? We haven't seen that. I believe the, the shifts happened um, are have created an inflection point, particularly for categories like ours, which we're not the first to, to kind of see the ex- acceleration from an e-commerce standpoint. What we're seeing more than anything is consumers want the ability to choose. Um, so it's, they're not only doing one or only doing the other. They want to choose what's working for them at on that day, on that week, um, wherever kind of they are, what you know, whatever location, and that we have to be prepared to meet those needs however they choose during that time. So we still believe it's it's an omni-channel it's an omni-channel world. That's not going to change. Um, the growth may not be as accelerated as it has the last couple of years, but those shifts we believe are here to stay. Got it. Got it. I wanted to ask about the specific marketing and advertising front on those digital platforms, because you see Instacart, you see, I don't know, like you see like DoorDash going into grocery and and they're all building out their advertising platform specifically to reach people like you. A, what are you seeing in terms of the types of capabilities that are available? 
B, are they resonating? Like, do you, do you think that it is, are they as robust as other, as other retail media platforms that you might see at say Walmart or Target? What, like, what, what are you seeing in terms of these more nascent, but still growing um, digital grocery advertising platforms? I think they're evolving. And for many of them, I don't think it's a, it's a, if it's a win, um, but this space is moving so quickly. Again, think about things that we're not, you know, every, we talk about retail media all the time now. This was not the case kind of five, six, seven years ago. Um, and we are, but we are seeing that there is a wide variation out there among retailers um, and these platforms around how advanced they are. Um, but the things we're looking for are do they have the capabilities to help us reach the consumer? Do they have the data that's going to help us better target um, and be more effective with that investment? Can they help us measure? Um, I think measurement is still a really big opportunity in this area. Um, and then how how do they stack up versus the alternatives? They're not all created equal. Um, and so it's an area where we are testing and learning and experimenting because it's changing so much and we are seeing capabilities develop really quickly. So it has to be kind of an experimental mindset and where we think there's value, we're scaling. And where there's not, um, we're waiting to see kind of how that continues to evolve and then deciding if we want to test and learn again. Um, so I think, you know, um, Companies like Instacart are putting a lot of focus in this area and evolving, um, but there's still opportunities when you think about, um, particularly in the area of kind of measurement, you know, making sure that you can return the value for those investments that, that you're making in them. Who do you think is the most exciting platform when it comes to measurement? Because I think that, you know, we, we see like Amazon growing, but also they're keeping a lot of their data close to their chests and probably not sharing it as much with you, right? Yes. Um, that is a good question. I don't know that anyone is joined it in a way that I say I lives up to my expectations. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly when you think about our ability to, the alternatives in digital media. Um, we have an in-house programmatic team. So we are purchasing a lot of our digital media in-house, which means we have a lot of transparency and cost and, and effectiveness and ability to be agile. And so when you stack these things against each other, that's, you know, it's not just alternatives within retail media. It's alternatives versus should I spend in this versus other options within digital media. Um, and so that, I think that's a challenge for all, all the retail media kind of organizations right now is, is their ability to provide that measurement and that value at the same level that we can get um, in other areas of digital. So I'm getting a huge amount of press releases from from like Walmart, from Target, et cetera, about uh, digital capabilities, but like digital signages, smart carts, things like that, that are that are about retail media, but also about reaching the shopper in a, I guess, in a, in a more connected way. Do those excite you or do you like are those important to you or what what are you seeing in terms of those types of updates? It is very interesting. We have shifted so much in the retail space to digital and so much of the purchase still does take place in the store and decisions we know decisions are being made in store. And so the shift almost went so fast that I think there was a disconnect of how do we make sure that we're delivering that message in the moments when the consumer is making that decision and the majority of purchases still brick and mortar. Uh, so I'm very interested a lot to learn, I think. And again, this would be an area that we would want to experiment just because this is very different than maybe some of the traditional in-store signage and other you know, tactics that we're used to. Um, but 
I think it's the right move and I think it's the right strategy. How effective it is and and cost-wise and measurement, you know, those are the things we're going to have to go learn. Can you talk about how you approach experimental digital strategies? And if you want to give an example, I'd love to hear one. Just when there's something new to try or there's a new way of reaching customers that a platform is trying to talk with you, what's the cost-benefit analysis and when, like, when do you decide to go all in? Sure. A great question. So it starts with we do have a focused um, a focus on experimentation. So it's not a set, we're going to do this many, but each year we want to make sure that we are um, carving out a certain amount of our investment so that we can experiment and learn and not just invest in the things that are tried and true. With the world changing so much, that's absolutely um, critical. So as we're looking at those experiments, we're usually considering what wh- where's the audience and, and is this an audience first experiment? Um, where is the capability? Is this something that if we did, if it was successful, we could scale quickly or is it something that it might still take a little bit of time and we might want to wait before we invest? Um, we consider which brand makes most sense based on on the audience and the, that brand's objective. And then we'll set it up in a way that we can get um, enough of a read that we feel confident in how we scale it. How we scale it can, can completely depend on um, you know, the confidence in the results. Um, it could mean we expand from one brand to two, or it could mean we go to all of them. And it, it really, really depends on um, on the brand and, and kind of the tactic. But we are trying to be very deliberate and making sure we're experimenting um, doing it broad enough that we are getting learnings in a number of different areas and in a way that we think the learnings are going to be actionable for us, whether we choose to move forward or not. Moving away from retail media, but still in digital, when you're thinking about branding and marketing, how important are are like the other advertising platforms? And like, what, like, what are you, I'm assuming, I, I know that you're definitely on, you know, like Facebook and Google and things like that. But is is GP on TikTok? And like, what does that mean, especially when you're thinking about top of funnel branding? Like, does that matter to you? Sure, absolutely. I mean, we are, we are very disciplined in how we measure to make sure that our investments are going against the places that we think we can be most effective with our consumer. But we also need to be forward thinking and understanding where the consumer is going and where the eyeballs are going to make sure that we are not missing out on an opportunity too. So I would say our strategies are audience first. They start with where do we think the audience is spending, that consumer target spending their time um, and where we can be most relevant in our message. Um, And then we try and prioritize based on where we think we can be most effective and most efficient. Um, So we are in linear TV and streaming um, and many of the digital channels, um, audio, social um, display online video. But we are, as part of our experimentation, as things evolve, like TikTok, we are there, t- you know, we are going to be there too. So we are not, not every brand is, does not have a presence or is not advertising. But right now, we do have some of our brands that are learning in this space because it's another pretty new and interesting and evolving space. Are you finding that any of these, you know, emerging, emerging channels like, you know, or not even emerging, but like digital channels, we can say, you know, like connected TV, et cetera. Are they performing better than you expected? Or like, what are you finding is resonating especially well uh, in in these experimentations you do? I think it depends. Uh, We, I can say that we've made a pretty big shift out of, I could call it more traditional linear TV into a variety of digital channels over the last few years. And again, that's, you know, audience first, absolutely where they are, but also where we found we can deliver our message in a, in a really effective and engaging way. Um, you know, areas that we are, you know, continue to um, focus on social audio um, are some of the newer areas that uh, we believe can be really effective with our brands um, as we shift kind of out of that traditional TV. So audio, do you mean like pot? Like, what, what can you go into what that means and how Sure, how that'd that? be more more like streaming audio. Okay, interesting. And so how do you measure that? 
I guess it's how do you measure that, especially since it's so top of funnel and so about brand awareness? Sure. So we, I would say our measurement comes in a number of different buckets, you know, for our brand awareness, and these are longer term metrics, so they're not going to move just because of an audio campaign or a TV campaign or digital campaign. You know, those are like brand equity, brand awareness. These are things we're tracking all the time and that we are looking for trends to to make sure that, you know, we believe we're, our brands are moving in the right direction based on the, the strategy and the investments we're making. Um, on a more frequent basis, um, we do things like marketing mix modeling. Um, and we have brought that in-house as well so that we can have greater transparency and greater flexibility and agility with being able to do that and measure um, because that is one of our best ways to measure holistically kind of the short-term impact of, of our different investments. Let's talk about data and first-party data because I imagine that's something that you think about a lot um, and it's something that you you have a lot of. And so can you just give me a top level of A, I guess what your strategy with collecting and and deploying data is and then uh, like what what are you finding is the most the most helpful? Like I guess it, it, it keeps changing like you know A, how you collect it, what you do with it but given that you're, you have so many brands and you're reaching so many customers, how do you synthesize all that? So two probably parts to that answer. So I'll start with first-party data, and it is important, and it is going to, I think, for um, for any brand, for any retailer, first-party data is going to be the the most beneficial data that you can have. Um, but you also have to, it's, it's a privilege as well, because once a consumer gives you that data, you have to make sure you are giving them the value for that exchange. Um, so you need to have a very, you know, deliberate strategy around your first-party data and how you use it. We do have, um, you know, a first-party database of consumers who have kind of exchanged their information for us, and we reach them in a a variety of different ways to help kind of provide them value back as well and continue to kind of engage and build that relationship. Now, with the the deprecation of the cookie and all the changes in targeting moving forward, that becomes, you know, it goes beyond just the the one-on-one relationship you can create with those consumers, but it does become a big enabler to continuing kind of ongoing a yeah, effective targeting strategy. So that's, you know, I think it's really important in both ways. Um, you know, I would say data overall has been an underpinning of, you know, my strategy since I took on this role. You know, I've always said we never we never lacked data. We have a, we had data come in from so many different places. It was the fact that the data was in silos and not every but not always um, we didn't always have the right people have the access to the data. And so I've um, you know, been focused on bringing together that data, connecting it, um, and then making it more accessible. Um, and so it can be more actionable for, to consumers. So now we can look across multiple disparate pieces of marketing data that's coming in and better make insights and better understand where we should, you know, take action or make changes. And I think that alone has been the other big part of data is just making it accessible and actionable so we can use it to make better decisions, to, to better target our consumers, to see how things are connecting across multiple touch points. Is that a question of talent? Is that a question of technology? So did you, when when you thought about data and realized it was siloed, was it that you needed to build a platform that ported it all into one place so that you could easily access it? Or was it just you needed to get two people with the know-how and machine learning who would then tell you how to do that? All of the above. I mean, it's a culture shift. I think to truly be a data-driven organization is a, is a culture shift. It started... You know, so you had to have the technology and you had to have the connections and that found that data foundation first. And so we've been very focused on doing that work and having the right people work on that. But now that it is 
um, accessible and ready to use. It's about um, engaging the talent and the broader organization, um, both expectations around how they can use it, um, training them on how to use it, um, but then continuing to monitor and track, are we getting the value out of the data that we expected? So it has to be, I mean, it's, it's a change management opportunity um, because it is different, I think, than how we've operated traditionally. Um, we've had people who might have been data experts who were focused on, on this. And this is now, you know, we're trying to democratize data so that everybody has the power to make those decisions. Can you give an example of maybe when you were able to tie two different data points that wouldn't have otherwise been that, you know, gave insight to maybe a specific brand's decisions or campaigns? Yeah, without getting too much into specifics, it's things like um, in my team, I have social now, I have consumer affairs, but I also have consumer knowledge. Consumer knowledge is where we would do some of our more traditional um, consumer research, um, quantitative studies or qualitative studies. But now that we have consumer affairs and social all within one organization, we don't necessarily have to go there first. We can start with what is the consumer actually telling us about trends, about you know a product, and then take that and check that with other people, you know, within the consumer knowledge to say, hey, is this a disconnect or is this actually consistent? And you know. How does this inform kind of the decisions we might make? So that's a way to kind of connect those disparate pieces of data. I wanted to ask a pretty broad question, which is coupons. Um, like, are they still important? I, you know, I feel like I still see them. I can't remember the last time I used them, but I think I'm not a, a good person. I don't think I am every American. So how are you thinking about coupons and what are, do they still hold such an important place in, in American grocery culture? It is another area of so much evolution in the last couple of years. I would say, yes, they're still important. I think finding ways to deliver value to your consumers, um, to provide incentives to consumers um, on when they're thinking about making a purchase is still important. How you deliver it is so much, is so different. Uh, it's not necessarily the print circular that we're used to, which I would say also played not just an incentive role, but an awareness role. You know, it is very much about the incentive and it's about being where the consumer is when they are making the purchase. So digital coupons, um, more of the um, rebate type programs that you're seeing. These are the ones that um, you know we see where the traction is today and and I think provide more flexibility to the consumer um, and are, are there when the consumer needs them kind of at that moment of purchase. So yes, they are still important. I think how they are delivered um, is very different as consumers just habits and needs change. I want to switch gears a little bit and ask, because you're, you're such a big company, you have so many different brands. How much or do you outsource at all? Like, do you work with agencies? How do you decide what to in-house and out-house? Um, we do. And, and it is a balance. And we're constantly looking at, you know, where is the there's the capability, um, the strategy, the um knowledge kind of better externally versus where do we think we can create that internally, usually um, to be more efficient or more agile with our businesses. So we have brought in um, multiple capabilities. Um, we brought in, we now, we use external agencies, but we also have an internal creative agency. And then we can really think through based on the needs, what's the right, you know, what makes sense for that brand or for that project. We did bring in, we use an external media agency, but we also have internal programmatic buying. So again, where we felt we could do it, you know, in a way that was efficient and, and agile for our, for our businesses. Um, we also in-housed a, a, a decent part of our analytics. So we now do things like marketing mix modeling internally. Again, that, that knowledge was so important for us that to be able to hold it internally and have that transparency, you know, give us, um, you know, greater depth of understanding of, of, of our investment. So it is, it's not a one size fits all. And, you know, it's not even, a, even for a capability sometimes, or for a brand, we'll think what makes sense external versus internal. Um, but it usually comes with where we think we can create, you know, 
we can create the the best effectiveness and um, efficiency. And is it a question of scale? So if it's a, a behemoth of a project, you might ask for help from the outside, or is it just? Are there what, what I guess what are the specific things you're thinking about for when you decide to bring in external agencies to help with the project? Yeah, it goes uh, to one capability. Do they have capabilities that we don't have internally, um, or their depth of capability, or their depth of knowledge in an area that they are going to have better understanding in than we do? Um, so that w- it would start there. Um, certainly, scale. You know, do we have not just capability? Do you have the resources to be able to to do it? Um, cost. You know, and then um, you know. Timing, you know, so all of those things I think, you know, come into play, you know, as you're making those decisions. I wanted to ask, because I know that some of your brands have had brand refreshes of late. How do you approach that? When do you decide that you want to do that? And what is the overall, you know, do you have a rubric for every brand refresh at GP that you have to do this and this and this about, you know, this focus group and that design team? How, how, How do you think about that? Sure. So we our our brand refreshes are um, really f- grounded in the consumer, and I would say coming out of the pandemic, we were looking at our consumers across all our brands. I mean, so much had changed. We really wanted to make sure that we understood how our consumer target had changed, and if that had implications on how those brands could provide value to that consumer. So that did, I think, um, create a foundation. You know, over the last few years of. Are there things that we could do differently or ways we would want to bring our brands to life differently that would more effectively kind of deliver value to the consumer, but also break through and kind of message to the consumer at the time? Um, and so that's been, you know, where we've seen some of kind of the new um, new campaigns with whether it's Angel Soft or Quilted Northern or Brawny kind of coming out over the last year or so. Um, but with that, we do want to make sure that we're, you know, there's not a rubric. It's not all a, um, a checklist of we have to do these things. But, you know, because it's grounded in the consumer, we do want to make sure it makes sense, you know, from a consumer standpoint. Um, and we do want to make sure we think it's going to create the value. And so we, you know, whether it's qualitative or qualitative and quantitative testing, we are usually pre-testing in some way to ensure that kind of the the um, new messaging or the new campaigns are going to create the value that we would want and connect with consumers in the way we want. And then we track it post-launch again to make sure that you know what we what we believe was going to happen, you know, how consumers reacting to that. And we can do that through again some type of quantitative tracking, but also through things like social and consumer affairs where we can get that kind of direct feedback. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Well, we're just about running out of time, but I have one more question for you, which, um, you know, is the future looking question. So, you know, you have a lot of things on your plate. You're looking over a lot of brands. What are the major priorities you have for the next, say, 12 to 24 months? And what what are you thinking about that is going to be, I guess, the campaign or the platform of the future that you think is going to have an outsized impact that might not be as important now? Sure. I'd say the three things I'm still focused on. One, continuing to keep the consumer first in the organization and understanding, you know, again, the consumer, it's still a point in time. Our our, our culture is are changing the um you know, the diversity of our consumer is changing. How are we understanding the impact to the consumer as you think about, you know, the millennials, as you think about Gen Z and how that might impact who our target consumer is today and might be in the future. So that's one area that we're very focused on is continuing that understanding. The second is the data and technology. We've talked a lot about that, but we've got the foundation now. Now it's about really making sure we're, we're leveraging it to drive those better decisions um, and not just in an analytical way, but in a creative way. How are we combining that to make our brands and bring them to life in more creative ways? Um, and the third area is, um, which is the most unknown right now, is AI. Um, AI, I think, is truly going to transform 
how we do our jobs. Uh, I don't know all the ways yet, but I do know that it will, and we need to start learning now. Um, it's evolving so fast. It may look different in three months, but there's already a number of areas where we've identified we think we can create some value with it, and we want to continue to test and learn in that area because that is something that I think is, is going to transform you know, certainly how we can work, maybe how we go to market, um, but it's going to transform consumers' lives too. I actually want to follow up. Have you started playing around with AI? Like, What, what are the ways it has slightly altered your your workflow right now yeah we're playing uh, we are playing around with it and still learning we've got a couple different experiments um, certainly in the area of generative AI and how it can help um, from inspiration for creative how it can help us um, move quicker with some of our creative assets so I would say a uh, you know, a couple areas within the content area that could help us reduce the process it takes to create content or helps provide better inspiration. You know, certainly you know, we were already leveraging AI more so in the media area, but continuing to experiment in that as to how it can help us make kind of better, smarter decisions. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg probably of what it will be able to do and, and can do in the future. Laura, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I've had a, it's been a fun conversation. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.